Welcome to Talk About Poetry, where working poets gather to discuss poems they like, are impressed by, annoyed by, or are otherwise engaged by. There are always interesting moments in our unfiltered conversations. I'm Bob Hers, publisher and one of the editors of Nine Mile Magazine, along with poets Stephen Casisto and Andrea Scarpino. Nine Mile Books and Magazine are the sponsors of this podcast. We publish books by David St. John, Michael Burkhart, Ralph James Savarese, Diane Weiner, Matthew Lippman, and many, many others. You can order our magazine and books online at ninemile.org. Today, we offer a reading by Leslie Ullman, author of the book, The You That All Along Has Housed You, A Sequence. It's a book of poetry from Nine Mile Magazine. The poems are all connected to one another. It's a terrific book, as you'll find out from this reading. So I'm going to read a series of a series of poems from a series I wrote, <clears throat> The You That All Along Has Housed You. And it became a series because I was trying to write a lot of poems with a group of friends, and I didn't have time to look for subjects. So I took the first poem I wrote, and then I would just take the last line of, uh, I took the last line of my first poem and turned it into the title of my second poem. And after that, I would just take the ending of one poem and either let it be the first line of the next poem or the title of the next poem and let that line take me somewhere. So um, the whole collection sounds pretty autobiographical, but actually after the first poem where I really was selecting some real details, um, I started making up a lot of stuff. So even though it sounds like an autobiographical book, it's, it's got a lot of interesting lies in it too, which were very fun to tell. So I am going to read um, some of the linkages. I'm going to skip, but I'm going to always read either two or three poems in a row so you can hear how they link up. The very first one uh, came from something I randomly came across online, a Facebook question, which was, what do you remember about 1987? A divorce, my friends and I seeking higher versions of ourselves in sweat lodges, hypnosis, and Sufi dancing. Phyllis, Monica, Kelly, Ken, red wine days, vegetarian days, Madonna, Michael Jackson, and the noisy hum of a K-Pro 16 as words flowed through my fingers in green. MS-DOS, the new frontier. A 40th birthday, potluck with margaritas, friends wandering into the nearby fields with poems on their breath, and me held briefly in the glow of new perfect love. Kathleen, Sandra, Terry, Renee. I drove a Toyota Tercel and wore long beaded earrings. Listened to a Walkman while riding burly along the Mesa, picking spines out of my heart and moving under a shroud of promises to myself I had broken. One night, I found a rattlesnake in my house hollowed out and ready for rebirth by the end of the year. I learned to breathe out angers I could touch and sorrows I didn't know had been hiding. The breathing got deeper. The snake got away. You too, Whitney Houston, the Moody Blues, 
The breathing was like digging with a sharp stick and the peeling away of masks. Masks, <clears throat> feathers in the hair, midnight above the lashes, thigh high boots, rooms filled with the shimmer of wind chimes, the anguish of Coltrane, the water and leaf filtered light of Sati. I read the story of O and didn't like it, but something made me reach for the chords it missed. Desire as black diamond, not quite danger. Sometimes I watched Lawrence Welk for a furtive return to my mid-century childhood, embalmed as it was in the syrup of his careful English the accordions and bland lyrics, so much smiling and blondness, innocence, tenacious as tar. I cringed with embarrassment and longing. My nature made no sense to me, nor did the future. I was like everyone I knew. I preferred foods I couldn't recognize, bite-sized, jewels scattered on trays in minimally furnished salons I could only imagine. Even the hosts dressed in black and ate standing up. Soft lighting soothed their bisque walls from which my imagination withdrew its clutter. I conjured places where I could imagine starting over. And here are another, here are three linked poems. So I broke the chain and I'm remaking it here. This first one is taking in the world, the whole thing at once. This is what parents tell their offspring not to do, viewing a child's greed as the mirror they must turn to the wall. Don't reach, you're not entitled, but taking in, receiving, the brought up self, backing off and leaving a wondering, porous self. Eyes, ears, nose, taste buds, like sea creatures swaying underwater. This is appetite that honors and asks nothing. Narcissism, narcissism is the whole hollowed true black, self's need usurping others air and the light in their minds and getting away with it. A blindness to so much that glitters around us, whether or not we notice. I could give up the me that curls like a slug with salt thrown over it when someone sucks all the air from the room, but not the noticing. The noticing holds things in place the way roofs clamp walls to floors and corners and trees send invisible branches deep into earth, steadying the commotion of wind. The noticing tosses the jacket on the back of the chair, smooths it over the narrow ridge of the present, replays the chair's first coat of varnish and the jockeying of legs and seat through the doorway. Every bike lying on its side, every plastic ball or block left 
on the lawn was last touched by a child's hand before the call to come inside. A hand sticky with juice or gritty from digging a hole through the garden towards China. Bouquet of spoons and spatulas in a jug, papers stacked and weighted with a smoky river stone, smooth, fist-sized, beside three pens and a postcard from Morocco, a clamshell full of sea glass, all these still lives left by the hand in its gatherings and settings down, each one a moment, each one a world. <clears throat> each one a world. If you behold some paintings long enough, you can, for example, smell the snow in Sisley's Louvicienne at twilight, or feel the ennui of Picasso's pale woman looking away from the man across the table. The shoulder of a demi-nude carried home on a Renoir postcard can warm the skin of the living palm. Light becomes liquid, pouring Vermeer's noon from a window onto a woman pouring milk from a pitcher or pools from a Van Gogh street lamp. Brandy, honey, the miracle of spark and heat discovered by mistake long ago when two pieces of flint fell from someone's hands and struck against one another, igniting twig and leaf in the dark world that had held its breath, waiting for this moment. Um, okay, and then I have two linked poems. The second of which is the title poem for the book, which is the you that all along has housed you. But its predecessor is return. That's hyphenated. Return can mean to turn again, or make the same turn twice, or trace a spiral that moves at once inward and outward. You can bend your attention either way. Both directions appear improbably at once, the way an Escher print shows water flowing seamlessly upward and down. Don't ask, just let something like vertigo wash over you, quelling whatever you knew of time or logic until sensation is all something of a drugged state. And sometimes it's your past that circles back in waves to converse with your present. A slow dance with partners you discover you can trust. No great loves or awkward groping or sweaty palms. Each old heartbreak now blunt-edged and forgettable. You've been around this block and perhaps are moving closer to the you that all along has housed you. The you that all along has housed you was once a druid, an unwed mother, a teller of white lies, and a friar's apprentice. 
prefers movement to meditation, altitude to ocean, has no tolerance for overhead lighting, but is drawn like a crow to glittery things, also to spiral-shaped things. Can read people like tea leaves, but can't find the scissors or the milk or clean socks, even when they're in plain sight. Was once a painter inside a cave and a healer slipping quiet as a spider from a wooden hut at dawn knows how to work leather and name the gemstones, knows that a teak bowl is not the right vessel for holding coins, grew angry at God lifetimes ago, heartbroken, died broken, and now gropes its way life after light towards a light it still can't define. As I moved through this co collection, I realized <clears throat> that, that in the back of my mind, the notion that we live many lifetimes just kept playing, playing back there. So this next couple of poems, um, oh, three poems. Uh, this first of the next three linkages is this person I am and am not thinking about what she might be in future lifetimes. It's called Next Time Around. Next time around, I will master the pirouette and the splits before the age of six. In this life, it was the headstand. Or learn to type before I can write. Or climb from my first glimpse of a river bearing a clay jar of water on my head, my head proud on its stalk, the water supple alive in its enclosure. I might hear an ancient song rising unbidden in my throat or play a small stringed instrument while perched in a tree beside the river, singing with the river in its own language, having stepped without looking back into the life I've been given in a country whose small change flows through my hands and whose ways are the air I breathe without knowing I breathe. I will not have to be taught to dance. I will feel easy with beasts or elsewhere altogether with the circuits inside slender electronic devices and the invisible chambers of the gigabyte. For a long time, I will have few regrets alive in that time and place until my voice, my limbs, my thoughts begin to reach as though towards greater light towards whatever else I might have done, but didn't. <clears throat> whatever else I might have done, but didn't, I have managed not to do harm. Unless mosquitoes count and ants when they appear next to the canisters on my white counter, black grains of them smaller than rice, vaporized under the sponge with my hand on it, and the centipede I once found in the leg of my jeans, and the snake I mistook for a rattler stretched across my doorway, I went for the bladed shovel, and that I do regret, with what has become the residual ache of the stab, the torrent, the what have I done that doubled me over? I have done harm, 
and now I recall my repeated failures to walk in the shoes of someone who hurt me or pissed me off or lied to me. Failures to praise, failures to listen, failures to get in a bully's face, failures to pick up the phone in a spirit of welcome, failures to meet the eyes of a panhandler at an intersection, even as I noted the hard beauty of bone beneath his weathered cheek. What will my face reveal about me when I'm too old to rearrange it, when I've really forgotten, when I'm no longer at my own mercy, what little of it I tended? What shape will mercy take then, and where will it come from? I have done harm. It has gone around and come around, but sometimes it rearranged itself into lessons I could read. In the reading, I let myself double over and be flooded, speared and washed clean. In the reading, at least for those moments, I was harmless. Harmless. Most animals in populated areas of Europe and the US. Most animals who live with humans. All animals while drinking water animals while asleep. I mean, without guile, dwelling in a singularity of focus, a state natural to them and rare in humans, harmless to humans in whom singular focus is hard won unless they're threatened or hunting. Animals harm animals they hunt but rarely hunt humans unless humans threaten them, though in swamps and seawater, all bets are off. Consider alligators, water moccasins, sharks, jellyfish, lampreys fat flashing a single tooth, the giant squid, the monster of Loch Ness, the piranha, the killer whale, who wouldn't have killed humans if humans hadn't corralled it and broken its heart. Humans don't belong in water anyway, not anymore. Their former dominion over it several million years expired. Some animals who thrive in water remain uncontested, cold-blooded, and totally other, sustaining multiple traditions of cautionary tales, revered and feared by those who speak and sing, grow hair, bear burdens of memory, nurse their young, know how to smile, and walk on two legs that are neither swift nor strong. I'm just looking ahead to see how many linkages are on this next little chain. Well, I guess I've got two, three, a few. This is called Company I Can Keep. The sky after last night's rain has a metallic sheen, layered in thin clouds that allow morning's rays to sift, to sift through. Today, my story untells the likelihood of limelight and brings instead the smell of pine needles fallen and warmed, a mild reassurance, the smell of Wisconsin summers. 
my story. All it ever wanted was to nudge me into a state of worthiness. Poor it, unreliable narrator, lens that skews the world. My story lags behind me, easily distracted, not yet an elder like I am, but ready to shed another layer of its youth in the mild sun, using nose instead of need, allowing warm sap to offer up fragments of other summers while I sit outdoors reading poems by an older poet whose work sustains me, absorbing the grace, the non-grasping, the purity of light and frond through his practiced eyes. Today, I can imagine being even older, walking into the day, accepting each, each thought without the tick of apology, near the end of a long life of work I have done for the love of it. That poet was W.S. Merwin, by the way. For the love of it. For the love of it could be enough. Ink loving the nib and the clean page. Loving the solitary voice. Trickle of voice that elsewhere tumbles as a froth out of control. Even in sleep, the tangled brain churns out dream fragments. They bob all night, refusing to quiet, to sink. Or else I wake and stay wakeful until dawn, unable to cease listening to whatever it is that lives in me, arguing with itself, tireless. I can't even be sure all this commotion comes from just the brain a gray mess surrounded by membrane, too small to hold such a, such a populace, such perplexed machinery. Do I harbor it or does it harbor me? And to think that every person on this earth carries this universe, it can't even be measured or seen or handled, which is why when it narrows through the nib of a certain pen, I hear only one voice teased out of the multitude, unhurried in its flow to a destination I can't see but know waits somewhere for me. Okay, here are three linked poems. The first one is In My One Heart. In my one heart, I have lived as two people, one more fearless than the other, one who prefers to stay at home than is the last to leave a party, one mostly helpless, one myopic, one with a green thumb, one who every morning burns the bacon. Both have trouble getting caps off jars. One can hold a sulk with practiced tenacity. One can mimic any sound a cat makes, though she doesn't understand what she said. One prefers black. One experiments lately with coral. One has taught herself to like cheap scotch. One prefers any wine whose description includes the word velvet. One has never married. One has married four times. One likes men. 
the other likes men. One likes them one at a time and far between. One has never mastered eyeliner. One says she can't paint and won't try. One can paint because she doesn't care and because making a mess is liberating as long as it's not on her face. One is good at finding small objects on the ground. She is the myopic one. The one who burns bacon may be the one whose perennials come back every spring. The one who likes black has been known to wear turquoise. It has become hard to determine who is who, and in fact, there may be more than two. One heart evidently is not large enough to give everyone a room of her own. Her own. Owning. This is hard for women of a certain generation, mine. Or maybe it's just the apology gene women of all ages have, hidden or not. I watch myself disown on autopilot as though I might ward off censure by censuring myself first, smoothing in advance the waves my voice might make. Perhaps I need a bark collar that zings a soft spot every time I demure and start to shrink wrap some part of myself. Not a jolt, just a subtle reminder that I'm doing something more painful and painful for a longer time than anything a bit of voltage can do. How would it feel to move through the world without this ploy at self-protection as, say, a firstborn son, or a drill sergeant, or an English don? To assert a position or give an order as though it were expected. I can barely imagine being able to disguise uncertainty, waiting it out, though I can guess that has its own way of being no fun. Perhaps the male counterpart to my caller would prompt a man to open an, an interchange with a question or speculation. Get over it, I say and say to myself, chewing over this bone well into the night while the lovely man I'm cleaved to puts up with my leaving all the lights on after he has gone to bed. Gone to bed. Gone fishing. Gone dreaming. Gone where dreams take us to what a psychic once told me is a parallel universe as real as the place we fall asleep in. It's cityscapes, missed planes, lost luggage, jump cuts and inexplicable behaviors continuing to manifest and shape shift long after we wake up and forget them. That might explain how an aftertaste whiff of presence, essence of someone I've never met but somehow know, services now and then. A brief gossamer visitation, as though bleeding through the haze that is my life. The haze that might be a dream someone else is having. And I believe I have three more linked poems that comprise the last three of the book. Um, the first one brings us back to Facebook. 
I don't really spend a lot of time on Facebook, but it seems to have come up in this book anyway. Um, this title of this first one is Everything I've Become. Is Facebook replacing the real face? Is Google making us lazy? Is YouTube devouring an entire culture's discretionary time? Research reveals the contemporary self is obsessed with fame, the famous, and animal videos. Can't sustain an average wait of more than 15.3 seconds before receiving an answer. Craves visibility. Fears anonymity more than bankruptcy, divorce, and kidney stones. The Benedictine practice of Lectio Divina, dating from the sixth century, was conceived to help seekers access the peace of the divine rather than pin down the divine. Leger, read slowly. Meditare, meditate on what you have read. Pregare, respond to text. Contemplare, allow the self to empty in the presence of text as on paper, the weight of it, the residual wood of it, and a pen underlining a U-shaped space that fills with not you. Six miles high on the plain, no one knows this rootless you. No one tweets in your direction. You peer into text, a single act of thought unspooling and grow lighter than air. lighter than air. I came into this world as a fist of cells, a pebble, aware of its weight even as it floated in a night sea. And part of me remains in the dark, astonished by the life I find myself in, its cities, its lights, swift travel, love, lies, heated rooms and soft places to sleep, where was I before? I watched my father relinquish in his 96th year whatever had anchored him to this world. The woods, the smell of motor oil, lake water, the tools, the remembered taste of tobacco, leaving the weight of what he would be after fire changed bone to something like sand and the rest had moved somewhere else. somewhere else. And this is the last poem in the book. I think I've been a boulder in other lives, harder to move than I am in this one. Perhaps I'll be finer in my next. At times, I can almost silence the goings-on in my head, noise of here and now, a granular frequency that may not be all, but is mostly what I hear. I would like to know what my father saw while I sat beside him and breath and warmth left his body imperceptibly with surprising gentleness as though a feather had passed over us both. I would like to know if it changed me too. But for now I remain a handful of something hard thrown against glass. Someday ash, 
most of which will sink into the soil it came from, and a trace of which may float if I keep asking into mist, then air, then something thinner. Thank you for listening. This was fun. This is the Talk About Poetry podcast, sponsored by Nine Mile Magazine and Nine Mile Books. We hope you've enjoyed this production. Our music is by the late Bob Perry, an Emmy Award-winning musician who lived and worked in Syracuse, New York. Thanks to all.